and we're back with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 302, aka year six, week 52. Uh, so this will be the last show in uh, year six, starting the seventh year of the Anarchist Experience uh, next week. Uh, as always, I am your host, Mr. Richie Rich, along with KMC. Oh, see, I, you guys, you guys doubled up last week. I was like, oh, maybe they figured it out this week. And then no, you just both paused and then went at the same time anyway. Uh, as you know, this is a regular call-in show. Those numbers, 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. That's 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. Eh, so what are you guys up to? Um, Waiting for the government to make up his mind who is president. <laughs> no, they already did. They just, you know, it's, no, it's not. It's not official yet. Well, the inauguration yeah. isn't official, but they made up their mind. They just, you know, oh, all the well. formalities at this point. The yeah. coronation. Wait, uh, waiting for waiting for the the official, um, yeah, whatever it is. Their, their ceremony. I'm waiting for the ceremony to uh, bestow imaginary powers onto another person. I heard there was a pro-Trump rally down at the Capitol building today, and. Uh, I know there there are people concerned that there's going to be some um, disturbance on the inauguration day down at the Capitol, so they've called in troops and all that. But that's in every state capital, right? Allegedly, <clears throat> Dep- depends who you believe. So I, I saw like a meme uh, on social media, and it's basically like, "Oh, so have you heard that there's going to be a, a a a protest at all the capitals on the twentieth? And the guy goes, you know, I, I didn't hear anything about that. And it's the FBI with like his thumb on the guy going, tell him what you heard, you know, kind of a thing. Like, <laughs> you know, they're, they're totally in on it. Uh, and, you know, there's, depending on your news source, which is harder and harder to to vet these days in some circumstances, uh, maybe there was some infiltration at the, uh, the, the insurrection last week. Right. There was like a CNN reporter caught on video that was supposedly deleted, but wasn't, uh, who was like undercover with Antifa for whatever reason saying like, yes, we finally got the right writing. Like that's the, the whole point to setting that up was to get uh, video evidence that the, the, the right and the conservatives will also riot. And so that, you know, made minor headlines. Yeah. But uh, tell me more about that. You mean there was an Antifa person fomenting this or i there, mean i, I know there were a lot of people recording there was there was a guy who was uh basically shunned a little bit from the black lives matter movement and shunned from the anti antifa movement um but i think he's just a shit disturber and he wanted um to get video of the the right acting like fools and so he was basically he, he wore a, a make america great again uh, hat uh, to the uh, protest and he was uh, telling the, the the crowd to you know what to do like like come on we can get in we can go in and at one point allegedly he said he had a knife let's go um, and because that's what's the, the weapon of choice when you storm the capitol building when when the uh, lady got shot in the neck um, she, uh, there was people trying to help her and he was telling them like, don't worry about her. She's dead. Let's go. Like, no, she's dead. And there's people like, no, we can, we can save her. We can help, we can help her. And he was like, no, she's dead. And 
So um, he was just trying to get them to go in so he could get video of them going in. Um, and so, yeah, he was, what do we call that? A provocateur? Or, yep, that's a good word. Uh, instigator. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was, yeah, he was trying to get them to do stu- bad stuff. And uh, and then he actually made it onto CNN and they were interviewing him as, as, uh, as a journalist, right? <laughs> Which... He was actually not. And then anyway, this guy gets oh, arrested CNN. later. He, this guy gets arrested later. So, you know, obviously CNN doesn't fact check anything. They don't do any research. They don't, they don't, uh, they don't care if it, if the story fits their narrative, they'll put it on TV. And so anyway, that, that guy got arrested and, uh, and now CNN doesn't want to have anything to do with it. So, <laughs> <laughs> See, and I, the, the story that I heard, was like a CNN reporter, like Im- an embedded CNN reporter who was like also no, thrilled he, that they got footage. He was an independent guy. Okay. Um, he just appeared on CNN. Yeah. And he, and they had him on. Yeah. Got it. So there you go. Infiltration conspiracies. I will <laughs> say this last week I shared, uh, the story of the dude that I was talking to, who was like convinced that Trump was still going to win. Um, and his reason was like, you know, the fake inauguration versus the real inauguration. And hearing the reports come out that Joe Biden is like fearing for his safety and like doesn't doesn't want to do it out in public, you know, makes me go like, well, maybe maybe <laughs> there's something to these oddball conspiracy theories that still think, you know. Well, at at this point, I think the only thing left to do would so- somehow some kind of secession, you know, because like the left wants their guy and. The right wants their guy, so it's like, why, why, why does there only have to be one? You know, what, what if Trump says, uh, just, hey, everybody, just, just stop paying taxes to these guys and pay taxes to me instead? You know, what would they do? It's a good question. I mean, I, I saw some video of like a, a secessionist rally at the Texas Capitol. So, like, you know, th- there are certain states that are always pushing for it. It seems, yeah, you know, like so, Texas. I think Trump still wants to be leader of something. And so I, you know, what, what does he turn it into at the, you know, after, you know, he, he's after Biden gets the inauguration, um, does, does he lead them to secession or does he uh, lead them into the Republican party or does he say, uh, no, we're going to start, uh, uh, the Trump cult and we'll just do that. You know, if, if he's, if he stays off social media, I think it'll just like fade into obscurity. I think his best shot was to continue the, the rallying cry and the rallies from social media, um, as, as a four year continued protest against, uh, Biden's election. Right. Like, I think he can still do that. I think he can still fundraise. That would be boring and sad. (laughs) If he fades off, or if he continues to rally, no. If if all he does is have his little cultish following, you know, following him around the co- country and do rallies and and protests, why would like that be boring? It's, it's I don't know. I like I don't think protests are are that interesting. Like at some point, you have to do something. Like you have to have something that that matters. Like something that that the government will say, no, you can't do that, and then and then then there's a real protest. You know? <laughs> well, this is America. And the one way to legally protest and do something that matters is to run for office and get elected. Like that's it. There's, you know, 
anything, anything else gets chalked up as violence, insurrection, rioting, coup attempts. Um, but why can't Trump do like a 50 state rally tour where he holds a protest rally out in front of the state Capitol, you know, saying like, you must change your rules and, you know, fix this. Because so that pro- protests don't necessarily lead to change. Understood. But again, what does, right? Like if, if you're That's Trump what I'm saying, so, so you have a protest and and during your protest, you say, now, now that you're all here and you all agree with me, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, whatever it is. We're going to pressure the lawmakers inside of this state capital nonviolently uh, to reform their election laws so that fa- free and fair elections will happen in this country going forward. Pressure the lawmakers. <laughs> pressure the representatives. I mean, that's all well, I ever hear. Right? Well, you, I know. You got to stay on top of these guys and make, make sure that they're voting in your favor and for your but, rights and for but your something liberties. More interesting would be like, like Trump makes a Trump crypto coin and says, you know, we're going to use this and we're going to abandon the dollar. And, you know, and then Trump makes his own uh, version of the Federal Reserve and uh, Trump bucks. <laughs> I'm not going to disagree that that would be more inter- interesting and more entertaining. But as far as like, but it's something feasible real, predictions? rather than just like, oh, we're mad. Oh, <laughs> like we get it. It's the same same problem with Black Lives Matter. Like they come out, they break a whole bunch of shit, and like, oh, we're mad. Like, okay, and yep, and so what? <laughs> right, because they because they fatigue because nothing actually changes and nothing gets done. Yeah, because it's the wrong thing to do. Well, but if you're Trump, you do it in like you do it at every state capital, so it only happens for that group of people once. You know, one state capital every two weeks, and and you keep this thing going for two more years. Right up until the the next election cycle for lower offices, right the the two year state capital tour to keep every and you post videos about it wherever video I mean, sites will it, host that'll, you. That'll keep him popular, but yeah, like it's not going to give anybody anything that they actually want. <laughs> I don't. Do you think Trump cares? Like, <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. I don't want to see. If I you, mean, if it's, you, it's the most boring thing ever. Well, if yeah, it will get boring, but for those people that are entrenched. Right, they're like, oh, I I only got to wait three more months before Trump comes to my place, and then Trump shows up, gets donations for whatever he's doing, uh, sells some merchandise, right? Pockets all that extra cash. It's like a rock band going on tour, like a a fifty except, state tour. Except it's just a a dumb Trump cult, and it's it's not that interesting. So I don't know. Well, to you, but the Trump to the Trumpers. The Trump train, you roll that, you roll down the four by fours down the street, flying your Trump flags. It's a better prediction than Trump's going to like overthrow the government or start his own cryptocurrency. Tell you that much. Yeah, but that's all, that's all I'm saying is I want something to, to change because, um, I, uh, I don't want to see it turn into, um, well, I mean, it kind of already is, you know, uh, control from the top down, uh, you know, authoritarian with a different guy in the seat every time <laughs> you know in the magic seat sure now here chaos any thoughts on on what trump should do next oh i'd be fine if he'd just uh go off and play golf all the time and just uh just disappear but he won't i mean i think he's tasted uh the the limelight the you know this what what blaze harris used to refer to as the he's infected with lemophilia the 
the, the urgent desire to ride in limousines. Well, he's got plenty of limousines, but the point is that once you've tasted power and and the accolades, uh, accolades from from the massive adoring crowds, he's not going to want to let it go. Um, and I I don't know. I I think that he'll. I don't know exactly what what he should do or what he will do. That's a ah either or a different. Take thing. your pick. Yeah. I mean, you, you say he, he's always had the money, right? And so he got a taste of the power. Uh, but like MC was saying, like what is what could what could he feasibly do to regain that power, right? I mean, is, it is, is a possibility. I think, yeah. I and I think it would work. It would follow this scenario if the economy uh, collapsed as a result of the lockdown and the recession, the bubble popping not only in this country, but worldwide, and therefore leading to uh, increased uh, trade barriers and and wars and conflict in various places and exchange of nuclear weapons somewhere on the planet. Uh, I mean, there's, there's a, uh, a lot of ways one could envision a cataclysmic world, in which case, when there's great fear and turmoil, people will want to have a strong, powerful leader. That's what Nazi Germany wanted. That's what uh, uh, fascist uh, uh, Italy wanted. That's what the um, the Bolshevik uh, era of the or origination of uh, Russia and the Soviet Union wanted. Uh, it's a a pattern of of people wanting a strong, powerful leader to lead them out of the sea of darkness and into the light. And I think he's got very much a possibility for coming back. Um, but he has uh, to wait four years. Kind of scenario. It's not going to happen. Or do you? Not necessarily. I, I mean, you know, his his power could rise very quickly in the midst of of calamity. Okay. I mean, I I, I it's a sort of a apocalyptic scenario, but I don't count him out at all. I think that he's very very much a presence, and he's uh, um, just because he's considered to be a strong man. People will turn to him when times are really, really tough. And I don't, and yeah, things may seem to have calmed down a little bit with, you know, Biden coming in, but the economy is a very precarious situation and the world's uh, uh, situation is, is very volatile still. Okay. Walk, walk me through it then, because you said it may not take another four years. It's not going to, it, I don't think that's going to happen in the next four days either. So we're playing with like four days to the next four years um at what point do does things in the country get so bad where whomever it is the the the, the trump base the trump supporters the people of the uh, we the people of the united states go nope you know what we want trump back in there and we want him back in there now we're not going to wait until 2024 to have another election like how does how does that manifest itself is it because to me, that the only way that happens is with the you know the violent overthrow of the United States federal government, and then Trump assuming control of what's left. Well, I I I assume that the United States is vulnerable, as most countries are, to you know a puppet leadership. That uh, if there was, uh, well, take for example how Trump first came to a political prominence was of his birther movement where he challenged uh you know the 
the birth certificate of uh, Barack Obama. And for so long, he was sort of the figurehead of this of this uh, whole, uh, I mean, it, it made no difference whether he was born in the United States or anything. Nobody ever challenged that he that his mother wasn't a U.S. citizen. That was all that, would, that mattered. John McCain was born in Panama. Just, um, Ted Cruz was born in, in, uh, in Canada. It, no one ever challenged that they didn't have a right to, to run for president. But Barack Obama was different enough uh, that people were willing to think that this birth certificate mattered to whether or not he had a legitimacy to, to be president. And so Isn't he that legitimacy in the that. Constitution, though? I mean, wasn't that the claim? McCain was born on a U.S. territory, so they gave him a pass. I don't know what they used as an excuse for Ted Cruz, but isn't um, it explicit it in the Constitution, natural-born citizen? Yeah, natural-born to an American an American citizen, but doesn't didn't have to be physically in the United States. Okay. I mean, it doesn't, I, I don't think Constitution says that you must physically be born in the United States. You're just a natural-born citizen, and you are once you're, you're I mean, if, if American citizens give birth to you. Okay. Um, at any rate, uh, the uh, so I, I I mean it's what you've asked is a possible scenario here. I would say that it's it's well, a yeah, because you said he doesn't have to that, wait another four years. So that's right. Yeah. That he doesn't have to be the president of the United States to be still a very very powerful figurehead of a movement that could shape uh, the politics of the country. I'm thinking of. Um, uh, well, I, I, I'm I'm thinking of a, a slightly different system over in Germany, for example. When Hitler gave rise to power, there were many big, big factions. His was but one p faction, but it was the toughest and meanest and most brutal of the factions. But the, the communists on the other side were pretty tough and mean and brutal too, and social democrats and a lot of turmoil. And it was because of all the turmoil that the guy who was the chancellor— um, Ludendorff um, said, "Okay, well, you you take charge of the government now. You be the, I'll I'll designate you as the, as the leader of the parliament." And I I can guess. I mean, I you you could envision some kind of a, uh, in this country, even though Biden might be president, although he might die in office. Maybe it'll be uh, Kamala Harris who becomes uh, uh, president. Um, and yeah, I don't know. You can see other scenarios too about how assassinations might even make that even further down the list. I don't know. Sure, but the but the assassination isn't out of the realm of possibility. Look at how much there have been just in the last uh, in our lifetimes of assassinations, which threw the scene completely different. Right, but there there's like the the presidential succession plan. Right. Yeah. Like you would have to assassinate so many people to get to the point where they go like, nope, we don't have, we are now presidentless for like the first time in all of American history. And we're going to have a special runoff, uh, like they do in, you know, gubernatorial races, I guess. And Trump, uh, wins in a runoff. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't uh, want to push yeah. the issue. I just don't, I, mean, I just it, don't it, know how to do I, that. You know, I don't, well, what I'm saying is that it, you don't necessarily to be, the the man most in charge in the country you don't actually have to be the it doesn't have to be president okay uh, now i'm trying to think of other times in history where a very 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 strong and powerful figure dominated the scene without being the president um hmm. i mean do you want to talk about big tech then 
because that seems to be the the predominant story right now is look how much control uh, these tech companies have over the general discourse of the country, even though they're quasi private entities. Possibly. I can't see any of the figures in, in tech being um, uh, willing to assert that kind of autocratic uh, control. And, and they all cower somewhat at the control that Congress or the president could slam down on them from the government side. So I don't, I don't see them taking that kind of power. I don't know. Let's see. I, uh, I'd say that uh, General Douglas MacArthur was a figure that commanded a lot of power in the country, even though he was um, uh, not president. Uh, who else in, who could could possibly fit into this uh, kind of character? I think there were people who who worried that General Douglas MacArthur was challenging Truman over the Korean War. Okay, doesn't that then just put Trump into the position of a very powerful lobbyist of some kind? Yeah, like he would if just he, he would if be he's influencing head of, the mo- head of a movement, a, a powerful movement. It it would strengthen that, not just a lobbyist, but one who, at his word, could could strike up rallies across the country. Now, keep in mind, I'm only thinking about this if if the country in itself is in tremendous distress. You know, a tremendous oh, depression. Uh, maybe uh, warfare brewing or in the midst of it, uh, things that we just can't see, or even the disease. I think we've seen all kinds of things happening just recently. Uh, disease, um, economic uh, collapse, although that's, it hasn't gone full collapse yet. It could yet. Um, warfare is the thing. I mean, we're in war, but but hardly noticeable at all because right? it's in the Middle East and it's been going on for 20 years. Well, civil war, the term civil war has been bandied about and, you know, Trump, Trump is in line to lead the troops on that side of a civil war, right? Whether it's, you know, depending on who you talk to, right? Democrats versus Republicans, uh, conservatives versus liberals. Um, uh, Mark Edge from Free Talk Live said it's going to be the the city folk versus the, the members of the rural community. Like that's the real civil war. Yeah. Um, now you are maybe in a position to feel it better than we are. I think here in Hawaii, I don't, I don't see, I mean, I, I always felt like it was the strongest independence movement here was the Hawaii sovereignty movement. And as tough as they looked from time to time, they had no power really to, to do much except by public, as long as they kept public sentiment, um, sympathy, then they could, make a challenge to the telescope or something like that, or to the, to the super ferry. Sure. But uh, I think public sentiment could turn against them if they, if they did too much muscle, but how about a, what's it like in New Hampshire? Do you think that the civil war is a, is a possibility? Uh, I don't think that's going to happen here. Um, you know, for, for all the rallies, the, the rallies are a weird thing here because I don't go to them. Um, but I know that I, I've met some of the people that have organized some of them. Right. And it's, it's bizarre. It's bizarre the way it's portrayed in the news. Um, because what, what the, what the news like tries to make sound as such a bad thing seems so reasonable to me otherwise. 
right? Like there was a, uh, there was an article in the local paper, uh, someone posted it on social media and they said, you know, the, the, the organizer of someone's house was raided. Um, and they found, uh, they, they found, they, they found an AR 15 with multiple magazines and hundreds of rounds of ammo. I go, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hundreds yeah. of rounds. If they were talking thousands of rounds, then I would think rebellion, but hundreds of rounds, well, that's just no, what you take even, to the shooting Even range. thousands <laughs> of rounds. People, you know, you, thou, you, you, they, they, they sell ammo by the thousand, right? That's, mm, that's the mm. way to buy it in bulk. So if, if you bought like two bulk packs, you know, for, for two different firearms, right? You have thousands of rounds of ammo, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I bought a thousand rounds in a Walmart parking lot. Like, <laughs> Who cares? Yeah, yeah. So, and you know, and, and one of the, I think I, I shared this a couple of weeks ago, when the dude that got um, arrested, you know, in front of the governor's house, they said he had, he had a, 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 a firearm on him and, you know, like uh, tw- uh, 20 rounds of ammunition, like on his person. <laughs> 20 rounds, wow. I was like, so so he had a, he had a pistol and a spare magazine, you know, like... That's the, that's the, that's the way I look at it. You know, when, when they say that kind of stuff, it's like, of course he did. Like why you, if, if you're, if you're going to carry a firearm, you're going to, you're going to leave the house without a spare magazine. No, that's, <laughs> uh, that's just as foolish as not having one. You know what I mean? So it's just, I think it's, it's culturally different here in that respect. Um, you know, cause like, you know, the, uh, an armed protest, well, an armed protest here is, you know, could be anybody in the crowd. Like, you know, it's it's legal and they can't do anything about it there. Just like any place else, there are certain places where you can't, you know, carry your, your firearm. Um, but the average citizen will walk, you know, will go to a protest carrying you know, the, the tools of self-defense with them. Like, is it an armed protest? Are they, you know, are they, are they flagrantly displaying their arms and, in, in, you know, in display of rebellion? No, not really. They just, that's just how they walk out the door in the morning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, well, that's very different here in Hawaii. I mean, yeah, there's a a gun toting community, but only between the 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 rifle range and or the pistol range and and home. They're not allowed to have a gun anywhere else. Yeah, and, and no one in between no spots is supposed to be in a lockbox. Yeah, that's you know constitutionally BS as it gets, and that's you know one of the one of the things I love about being here. Like, uh, I'm going to be taking, uh, another firearms class at the end of February. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's like, you know, um, me and M are both going to be in this class cause Hey, why not? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, on, on the class form, it says, you know, like you will need 250 to 300 rounds of ammunition for the class. Mm-hmm. So that means like between the two of us, I got, I got to get like 600 rounds of ammo, like, <laughs> you know, and where am I going to put that on the shelf? right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's not, it's not going anywhere spectacular, but should I get raided in the meantime, which, you know, I don't think is likely to happen. Knock on wood anyway. Right. The reports would be like, he had hundreds of rounds of ammunition. I was like, well, yeah, because I I have a class coming up that requires like 300 rounds a piece. That's going to get used up in a weekend. You know what I mean? That's the question though. I'm, I'm curious, suppose that that did happen and the media does this do you have enough of a support group around you to push back and and uh, and discredit the the media? Um, I mean, is it is that a possibility? I remember when the when um, the Liberty Dollar got raided, 
and the uh, Treasury Department stole uh, two uh, two million dollars worth of, of maybe twenty million dollars worth of gold and silver and everything, and and they shut him down. Uh, there wasn't much pushback from other media sources or a community. Well, there was actually that that stood by him and supported him, and I think that causes the the government to to halt and be a little cautious in what they say and do in the, in the media as well. Do you have that kind of support in case something like that happens? Um, not to the extent that uh, I would like or we would like. So the mainstream media here is still the mainstream media. Um, we have alternate media outlets um, like community members, you know, run their own newsletter and run their own podcast and run their own, you know, like free talk live is a, you know, nationally syndicated, but Liberty oriented radio program that covers a lot of local news. Cause Hey, happens to us. We talk about it on the air. Um, so there, there are definitely outlets where you can get the other side of the story or the truth or however you want to think about that. Um, there are, you know, letter writing campaigns like, Hey, we got to get, we got to get the voices into the, into the mainstream newspaper. Um, so there, there are people that will organize like letters to the editor type of thing. Like, hey, I'm here's the letter that I'm submitting to the letter to the editor, and I, I highly recommend that you submit the same. So at least the, you know the the newspaper editors get an influx of opposition points of view, uh, and, and occasionally they'll get published. But whatever. Um, but there's as far as I know, there is no one, there is no one on our side in the mainstream media to counter those things. Right. So, so just like the deplatforming issue that's going on with the tech companies right now, a lot of it seems insulated into an echo chamber, um, as far as I know. Right. You know, like mm -hmm. we all read the alternate, we all read the alternative, uh, news sites, um, but no one outside of our circle does. Right. So we, we may share it on social media. So it may get a little bit of penetration. Um, to people who aren't, you know, within our community, but are follow us on social media or whatever. Um, and maybe it's just me, but I've never gotten very much leverage uh, posting alternative news from people outside of my circle, right? The, the people within the Liberty community would always like thumbs up and share and, you know, comment on it. Um, but everyone outside of the community was smart enough not to engage in discourse, right? Because they knew that they couldn't win the, a philosophical battle of ideas so they just don't bother they they skip over they pass by and you know i, I kind of gave up on that i just let me just observe that this is part of the of the damage of having more and more concentration of government in all aspects of our lives i i'd say that 100 years ago or 200 years ago because people were much more self-reliant and had to depend on their friends and the family and the community in social organizations of all different kinds, they had a much better protection of their independence from government because they had so much more motive to be connected with everybody. Even, well, so what I'm saying is that because people had to rely on neighbors for their uh, medical emergencies or unemployment emergencies or, or, or even church organizations too, that you had many more, much more fabric to social support and backing when there was trouble. Um, but since people have come become used to thinking that the government will take care of them in, in any kind of emergency, they've 
um, been lazy about or, or complacent about all the other fabric alternatives for their protection. And so they, uh, so it's not there. So if the government wants to be use their hammer, um, it's so much easier for them because people have become dependent on them rather than self self reliant through their variety of community connections. Do I make sense on that? You do make sense, and I think again, this one of one of the reasons why I'm glad I made the move here to New Hampshire uh, as part of the Free State Project is because, in some respects, there is that sense of community. Right, we haven't we haven't gotten to the point where we're like leaning heavily uh, on each other so much right now. Um, but for instance, I was you know I was talking to uh, a, a friend of mine and uh, one of the other co-hosts of Free Talk Live, like on our drive home from doing the radio show about it. And I go, you know, we're we're one of my biggest concerns right now through through everything that's going on um, is food shortages, right? Like when, when they, mm-hmm. when they locked down the country for whatever, whatever last year, um, I became very concerned over, uh, the, the, the food supply chain because you can't mm-hmm. shut down the factories and you can't say, you can't send the warehouse people home and then expect food magically to show up on the grocery store shelves, right. In a couple of weeks, right. You, you, if you, if you disrupt the supply chain, there are next level effects that aren't being considered, uh, and with Joe Biden now going like, ah, we're just going to, we're going to pay people to lock down for six weeks. Right. That guy says, just hang in there for a hundred days, you know, or whatever, whatever it is he's saying, uh, bef- before things can happen, you know, I go, well, you can't, you cannot stop the production side of things for six weeks mm-hmm. without having disastrous effects in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So either there's not going to be a true lockdown, um, or there's going to be disaster coming out of it because I don't care how much money you hand out to people, uh, if production stops, the the shelves run dry, and then it takes a little bit of time uh, to pick back up production uh, to get to get back to whatever level you know you get to. That being said, back to my original story, um, I was I was riding home and I was you know uh, relaying these concerns uh, to to um, my co-host there on the drive home. And he was like, well, luckily we have local farms and he's right. Like there are farmers within the, within the, uh, liberty minded community here, uh, that you can, you know, buy a share of a pig or, or buy stock in a, in a cow or, you know, get your chickens and your eggs from, or how, however it is you want to like, you know, make sure that, that food isn't going to be an issue for you and your family. And I go, yeah, I hear you, but just like everything else, right? They're so much goddamn more expensive uh, than the local grocery store. You know, like I can, I can get a dozen eggs at the supermarket for 99 cents, or I can pay 4.95 from the local, you know, organic fucking chicken farmer guy, you know, who's a member of the community. And it's hard, it's hard to sustain those prices uh, while there's still food on the shelf. You know, mm-hmm. um, but the downside, the other side of that is when the food disappears from the shelf, if you haven't like pre-purchased your food from them, uh, they're not going to have any for you. Right. They, they've pre-sold it all. Like, you know, that, that half a hog that they were selling six months ago has already been sold to someone who was paying, you know, the premium price for half of a hog at that time. So, 
you know, so, so talking to uh, the buddy man, he was like, no, I, I buy a little bit from the farmers, like as much as I can spare, uh, I spend on, on locally produced farm goods. Right. And then if I do need to go to the grocery store for anything else or whatever, then I'll, then I'll go to the grocery store. But it's, it's twofold. It means that he will never be concerned about running out of food um, because he doesn't buy from the grocery store. Like his supply chain is farm to table, literally. And he's willing to pay a premium for that peace of mind. Right. Mm-hmm. And I go, yeah, I get it. I just, you know, un- until, the, uh, until there's like price parity or until I'm really convinced um, that there's, there's going to be, you know, something drastic happening. I uh, just, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to save my money and buy other things for now. Um, but the, to your larger point, so that, yeah, so there, there is community support in those areas, um, here, you know, at, at least locally where you can get certain goods from certain people who do certain things and you don't have to worry about, uh, the, the larger supply chain issues. And if we needed, and if we needed to lean on, you know, community members, um, for certain things, like I'm glad I'm surrounded by those people because if I was still in Hawaii, it's like family and then that's it. Like, I don't, I don't think there's going to be, um, I don't think you could generate the kind of support, uh, there as you could here to number one, have those, have those structures in place, but also if you're going to push back, right, have the numbers and the ability to push back against the state structure that is in place, right? There, there, you know, the, the rallies, the protests, the candlelight vigils, uh, outside the governor's house, right. For, for as many weeks as that went in place, uh, and then, you know, come to the governor's like, well, I'm not even going to be at my house. So don't even go there. And so they moved it to where the governor's going to be like, they went, okay, we're not going to do it at the house. We're going to do it at the Capitol building where the governor's going to be for his inauguration or whatever. You know, I don't think, I don't think you get that kind of support in Hawaii, even from the people who like, you know, want to secede, right? When were they pro was there ever a protest outside the governor's mansion or at the governor's house? Right. In so the, Hawaii? Yeah. I mean, oh, oh, um. Yeah, there's often. Well, I don't know about the governor's house. I don't. It's right across the street from the uh, Capitol building, so I suppose they consider it one and the same. Here, if you're out in front of the Capitol building, you're also across the street from Washington Place, which is the okay. governor's house. No, this was his private residence. This was, this was like his house in the town that he lives in, you know, miles from the Capitol, where he's got you know where his where his kids grow up and his neighbors see him for his morning jog or whatever it happens to be. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, well, you, now you're infringing on the neighbors. I go, well, they should know who they live next to. Right. If, if he's doing these things to the rest of the state, uh, th- they should not have sanctuary, uh, either type of a thing. And so that's what, you know, that's, that's what this governor here was dealing with. Um, whereas I think the governor in Hawaii gets away with a lot more, um, I follow, I follow the grassroots Institute on yeah. social media. So sure. I see their headlines and some of the articles they write. Uh, mm-hmm. and I can only laugh react to them. I was like, more nonsense coming out of that state. And you know, if, you know, if the beaches are that good and then the weather's that nice, you know, fine, uh, deal with it. You know, I, I chose to move because, Hey, I don't like beaches and I can afford a jacket. So I don't, I don't mind the winters. I don't mind the, the climate. Um, 
but I do appreciate being surrounded by people that value freedom and liberty and, you know, are willing to do things about it. Maybe not enough things, maybe not pushing the envelope necessarily far enough. Right now we're going to vote harder and we got to write more letters to the editor. And I'm like, ah, yeah, okay. That's your thing. You know, you do you man. Cause you keep asking for permission and you know, if vote harder, if vote harder gets you the freedom, fantastic. I'm just going to continue to act as free as possible, uh, with minimal encroachment as possible. And we'll see what happens. But I find that to be easier done here than it would be there. Anything else? Headline? Did I lose you? I get like nothing now. No, no, no. I, I, I see your point. It's just that, uh, um, there are a lot of people leaving Hawaii, probably more so than any other state that's largely driven by the economy the high cost of living which is the government i was pleased to see that uh ed case finally put in some proposals to uh, pass legislation to get rid of the jones act or at least modify it and uh he's pretty straightforward about it i'm i'm shocked pleasantly shocked that uh ed case can do that uh whether or not he'll get enough support to to pass the law i don't know yet but I was surprised that that an anti-Jones Act guy actually got uh, got elected here after all this time. But anyway, okay. that's yeah. Did he get elected on the on the basis that he was going like was it a one issue thing? No, no he no. was the he, anti-Jones he's Act been around guy for a okay. long time. Uh, but one reason that he you see he was congressman and then he lost when he tried he tried too quickly to become a senator when the seat opened up from anyway I guess. And uh, and he lost that, and he lost that largely by losing a, a support among the the uh, powers that be in the Democratic Party because uh, he had a position that was opposed to Jones Act. So he, he ran several times, and then finally he won re-election. So now he's in Congress again. I better I hope he stays there. Uh, but in any case, uh, uh, he's always been pretty openly opposed to the Jones Act. Okay. Well, we'll see what happens. Right. Because mm-hmm. he, he can propose it, then it's got to get voted on and then they have to do something about it. So we'll see. <laughs> the first the first representative from Hawaii, so far as I know, ever to oppose the Jones Act, which is extremely damaging to Hawaii's economy, but uh, has always been so supported by all the, the congressional delegation. Which should show you how representative, uh, you know, Hawaii democracy is. Yeah. Right. <laughs> If if none it, of them if none of them were for like alleviating the the problems of the Jones Act on their own state, uh, what good are they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now, sp- okay, I, other... go ahead. No, I was just wondering, yeah. If you've got other headlines or so, that's that's just one that came across here. Yeah. Well, let's do this one. There is no such thing as treason, uh, from the Mises Institute. Treason is quickly becoming a favorite word among Washington politicos and their media allies. One need not look hard to find countless examples. Uh, For example, a late night talk show host called the January 6th Capitol riot the treason finale (laughs) of the Trump era. A Washington Post columnist concludes the founders would have denounced it as treason. Uh, The mayor of New York says Trump is guilty of treason for his supposed role in the riot. Uh, what is perhaps surprising about the use of the word this time around is that it's being used by the left against adversaries in the right. Usually, it's the other way around. During the second half of the 20th century, 
it was not particularly unusual to hear right-wing cold warriors denounced as traitors those who were allegedly too soft on their communist enemies. Conservative columnist Ann Coulter, among others, had re- has long referred to left-wing advertari- adversaries as the treason lobby. It's an old conservative trope, and I suspect that the irony of using the term against Trump-supporting conservatives is not lost on the leftists who employ it. We can see this tactic's effectiveness in the fact that so many Republican and conservative politicians have rushed to distance themselves from the riot on the grounds that it constitutes treason or that it violated the state's sacred property. Uh, By the right's own criteria, which tends to stress reverence for government institutions and buildings, the riot was a violation. The social contract and the treason myth. The truth, however is that the use of the term, regardless of who's using it, has always been maudlin and founded on falsehood. Terms like treason and traitor perpetuate the myth that Americans owe something to the regime, or that the regime's coercive monopoly is somehow based on a free and voluntary agreement, an imaginary social contract between the regime and those who live under it. None of this is true, as shown by Lysander Spooner in his 1867 essay, No Treason. No treason. <laughs> uh, Americans are not morally bound by the U.S. Constitution or its agents. The relationship between the average American and the U.S. government is not a contractual one. At best, the Constitution was only ever a contract between those who ratified it and the regime. Those people are now all dead. For Spooner, unless may I a pro- add, may I add to that point? Sure. I've, I often pointed out in my classes that who knows, maybe only 1% of the population actually voted for the Constitution because at that time, you know, um, first of all, women couldn't vote. Uh, anyone under 21, which was probably half the population, couldn't vote. Of those men remaining, of course, slaves couldn't vote, Indians couldn't vote, Hispanics couldn't vote. Um, Anyone without property couldn't vote. And uh, then there were non-citizens, which was were still loyal Tories to uh, England. Uh, they couldn't vote. Um, and, you know, when you narrow this down to what that leaves, um, and, and then those who couldn't get to voting, uh, to, to voting polling pay places, you know, because of the, the population was largely rural, um, it was probably about 1% of the population that voted for the Constitution. <laughs> Another interesting point about the Constitution, the way I, I like the way it's phrased, um, mm-hmm. is that it's just, you know, four goddamn pieces of paper that nobody bothered to sign uh, as it relates to the contractual basis, right? No one signed as a party to the contract. Uh, all the signers were witnesses of the contract. Uh, Murray Rothbard argues I think, uh, convincingly, that it was um, an e- illegal convention because under the Articles of Confederation, which was the previous agreement, um, they could only come together as a convention and make a unanimous decision. But realizing they were opposed to it, a couple of the states sent their delegates home saying, well, then we're just not going to attend because then anything you do is invalid. <laughs> And there were uh, all other kinds of interventions. Um, 
the anti-federalist uh, papers that were circulated by people who opposed to the constitution um those who were in charge of mail delivery often just trashed their opposition articles about it and then there were a number of state legislatures where where they held uh meetings under very uh compromising circumstances uh to to get a passage uh for certain states uh, so there there were there was a lot of chicanery i mean we think a lot of times oh only chicanery occurs today under the current circumstances but it's always been going on and that yeah. that was very much a part of the passage of the constitution originally too and i probably would have supported that chicanery at the time uh because of course if you're you know if you're if you're living under the laws of the articles of confederation right trying to usurp that and replace it would probably be made illegal and it would probably take breaking the law uh to to you know to remove that yoke uh if that's the thing that's bothering you so i'm not i don't know if i'm bothered by the fact that you know ah doing this was illegal at the time because most good things are at the time uh carrying on in the article for spooner unless a person gives explicit consent and approval of the constitution and its notions of treason among other notions then a person cannot be said to be any sort of traitor. Clearly, this individual consent is indispensable to the idea of treason. For if a man has never consented or agreed to support a government, he breaks no faith in refusing to support it. And if he makes war upon it, he does so as an open enemy and not as a traitor that is a betrayer or a treacherous friend. Nor would resistance to a regime constitute treason even if the alleged allegedly treasonous person had voluntarily given his or her consent to the regime in the past. Only states insist they have the right to demand that one party of the contract, i.e. the taxpayer or citizens, be subject to a perpetual and unbreakable legal obligation forevermore. In the more reasonable world of... <laughs> That's an excellent point, too. The fact that it becomes perpetual on all future generations, whatever the original agreement was in a uh, constitution hall in Philadelphia. Ah, we've made an agreement among ourselves, 1% of the population uh, binding on all future generations and all future populations. <laughs> yeah. You, you yeah. were born, you, you agreed to the social contract be, by being born on this plot of land. And so this is, this is, this is what you get. Mm -hmm. uh, lost my plate. Uh, in the more reasonable world of peaceful and voluntary relations, i.e. moral, morally legitimate non-state relations, contracts are breakable, and consent is negotiable and voidable. Moreover, Spooner notes that regime has long since voided whatever contractual obligation might have existed due to its widespread violations of natural rights. The social contract, if it ever existed, was abrogated by the regime's failure to keep up its end of the bargain. Thus, under these conditions, it's difficult to see how any person or group that refuses to comply with laws and edicts handed down by a constitutional government violates any principle of patriotism, loyalty, or obligations to the state. Why, ha why the state has special hatred for traitors? Uh, as one might expect, regimes take an especially dim view of traitors. This is largely because so-called traitors, whether through the words or overt acts of violence, threaten the state's monopoly power. Uh, Murray Rothbard, as you brought up earlier, explains in Anatomy of the State. What the state fears above all, of course, is any fundamental threat to its own power and its own existence. 
the death of a state can come about in two major ways, through conquest by another state or through revolutionary overthrow by its own subjects, in short, by war or revolution. When it comes to resisting these threats to the state's power, the state employs a huge double standard. In the case of international war, the state openly encourages its own citizens to take up arms and engage in open warfare against potential rights violations inflicted by a foreign state. Fight for your freedom, we are told. Uh, But when it comes to rights violations committed by one's own state, Rothbard notes, no defense is permitted. Nor is it surprising then that the states often pursue greater punishment against those who threaten the state than for those who threaten ordinary people. Uh, We may test the hypothesis that the state is largely interested in protecting itself rather than its subjects by asking, which category of crime does the state pursue and punish most intensely? Those against private citizens or those against itself? The gravest crimes in the state's lexicon are almost invariably not invasions of private person or property, but dangers to its own contentment. For example, treason, desertion of a soldier to the enemy, failure to register for the draft, subversion and subversive conspiracy. Can I I add one to that? Yeah. I I find it uh, interesting that a trader is suspiciously close to traitor (laughs) because uh, it's often considered to be a... um, um, unpatriotic to be buying a product from abroad when you could be buying it from another American citizen. Um, and so often people have, have viewed it as a patriotic and loyal thing to buy domestically and traitorous <laughs> yeah. to be buying, buying abroad. To their uh, own sorry. detriment, usually. Because yeah, you can yeah, find yeah, it better, course. cheaper elsewhere and, and you don't have the competitive advantage. That's right. Uh, uh, subversive Uh, subversion or subversive conspiracies, assassinations of rulers, and such economic crimes against the state as counterfeiting its money or evasions of its income tax. Or compare the degree of zeal devoted to pursuing the man who assaulted a policeman uh, with the attention that the state pays to the assault of an ordinary citizen. So we can conclude that the Capitol riot was not treason, and theoretically at least, it was potentially an act of self-defense. Whether or not that is actually the case, however, is much less clear. As Spooner notes, those who take up arms against the regime under which they live are nonetheless engaging in as an open enemy and are engaging in violent action. Just because the capital riot was not treason does not necessarily make it prudent or moral, let alone legal. Perhaps the most unfortunate part of the capital riot is that many appeared to not intend to commit any acts that might even be interpreted as treasonous. Many rioters appeared content to simply register their dissatisfaction with the election. They roam the building like tourists and waves flags. Many of these people will nonetheless face the full savagery of federal prosecution for what perpetrators likely thought amounted to a minor trespass. On the other hand, some rioters attacked Capitol personnel. Some others vandalized the building. Some of these people are guilty of real crimes, such as those who apparently engaged in violent confrontation with the Capitol Police. Their crimes may amount to assault, vandalism, and trespassing. Some may even be guilty of attempted murder, but none are guilty of the made-up imaginary crime that is treason. Uh, end of the article. Any more thoughts on on treason in general or uh, the the capital insurrection, which is my favorite term for it? 
Yeah, well, of course, the, the, the winner gets to determine the, the labels. Uh, right, which is why if you're going to have a coup or you're going to have an overthrow, it's, you know, uh, uh, win by overwhelming force, be committed to that, or don't try. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, <laughs> well, well said, yeah. You know, <laughs> like if, if, if that's the goal, then that's what it takes. Uh, you can't storm, you can't storm the Capitol building and meander about unarmed, right? If, if your goal is to overthrow the government, like that's, that is not I, how to do it. I think the law probably also has all kinds of, um, uh, provisions for aiding and abetting a crime, you know, providing the bottle of water for the, for the guy breaking in or, um, co-conspirators uh things like that so you're you're the driver uh, the, the getaway driver yeah. of the getaway car for the bank robbery you weren't in the bank you didn't uh um uh, hold a gun to anybody's head but you assisted in the driveway um i i think that that's probably going to be used uh in a collaborative manner to anybody that entered the the capitol building and then, and i wouldn't be surprised if people will be asking for that same sort of charge to uh trump uh for you know the uh firing up the crowd uh ahead of time and actually i'm still puzzled if trump i i it, he had to have been the first to know to be informed of what was happening at the capitol and he if he didn't want them to do what he did or what they did he could have put a stop to it very quickly um, either by flying there himself, you know, in his helicopter and landing in there and telling everybody to go home or sending the troops, uh, there immediately. I mean, here's the guy, the president of the United States with the button on the nuclear arsenal, but he didn't do anything. I was really surprised by that. Well, okay. So again, I don't want to sound like I'm defending Trump. Uh, however, the Capitol protest was well-planned in advance. Like it, uh, they show the clips of you know of Trump's rally speech right before that, where he goes like, "I'm I'll be I'm coming with you to the Capitol, so let's let's move in that direction, right?" Did, but did he say he was going with them? He at one point he it, he did make it sound like that, and then he just didn't. He got back into uh, his limousine and then hit out. Uh, um, but you know he, he uh, I don't remember the exact words, but I did watch the speech live, and I do remember. Um, something to the effect of, you know, I'll be with you at the Capitol. So let's, let's go there, uh, type of thing. But nowhere in that speech was an order to riot. Nowhere in that speech was there an order to invade. Um, based on, based on what I saw of the, of the riot itself, um, or, you know, the invasion of the Capitol building, um, I don't know if I would agree that it would have been the best course of action uh, to send in the National Guard, because I think that that would have definitely um, made the situation more hostile but, and more violent. I mean, how, how grand it would have been for him to just fly in with his helicopter and, and, uh, and stand there in front of him and say, Okay, that's uh, you. You made your point. Uh, don't enter or something. I mean, if he had done some gesture like that, then he, I think he could have come out way ahead. He would have shown that the the troops rallied to his word, and that they, uh, you know, and they pause at his word, and he yeah. would have been considered the savior. I don't know if you I want think that he really look either. An opportunity. 
I don't, yeah, see, I don't know if you want that look either, because that definitely means that Trump commands the troops, which is, you know, he's been very uh, clear trying to distance himself from, despite the weird words at the debate of stand back and stand down. Uh, you know, when, when he said that, like Trump doesn't command the proud boys, he doesn't command the all the right, uh, they hang on his word, but he is not like the leader of the group to give orders to the troops of those groups. As far as I, as far as I'm concerned. So, I mean, hindsight, hindsight, 2020, I don't, I don't think Trump wants to give off the look that he did command uh, a civilian army, number one. Um, and I also don't think that calling in armed troops would have de-escalated the situation as much as just letting the fire basically put itself out, which is what ended up happening anyway. Right. They, they stormed, they stormed the building unarmed. Um, they, they did basically zero harm, uh, to any individual person. Um, and then they, they, they meandered about and left. Now, one, one interesting point you brought up and I'll, I'll try to be brief since we're getting to the end here, um, is you brought up the aiding and abetting. And I, I, I think, I wonder if that's could be used by all the airline companies who are now refusing to let all those protesters fly home. Right. Like, oh, no, no, you you may have committed a crime in D.C. because we know you Trump supporters were here for that protest. Uh, we are not going to be aiding and abetting uh, criminals get away from, you know, the jurisdiction. Did airlines which... do that? How could yeah. they identify? How could they identify who was a, a protester or not? Uh, I mean, there, there's tons of videos of the protesters. Number one, the, their names, some of the names are out there. Um, and I think if you, if you showed up. Uh, at the airport on January 7th, wearing a MAGA hat and a Trump t-shirt. Uh, I don't think you were getting on that plane because that, that would have been like clear huh. that you had come from a state the day before and were now flying out of the state the day after. I, I, this is the first I heard about that. I yeah. didn't know that that was done. Yep. Airlines, airlines were blocking travel of Trump supporters leaving the Capitol in the days that followed well, the what insurrection. purpose uh, be, uh, had the, the police said, we don't want these people to get out of our grasp or something. Actually, nope. you would think that they'd be easier to apprehend when they went to their address, you know, where and some of them were, them. but yeah. no, yeah, look it up. I don't, I don't have an article in front of me, uh, but airlines were denying Trump supporters uh, passage on their, on their airline uh, on, on, on the, on the grounds that they were, uh, a threat of some kind based on their participation in the Capitol protest. Like that's it. Well, we think you were at the protest. Thing. You're not getting on board. Was there some reason to think that they would hijack a, a jet or something? No. Over that's, Washington, you know, DC play stupid games, win stupid prizes. The airlines don't want to provide you their services. <laughs> They're not obligated to do so. And you know, you, you, you show up at the Capitol and, and participate in a riot slash insurrection slash coup, uh, the airlines don't want to provide service. They don't want to do business with you. Well, okay. All right. Final thoughts. Yeah. All right. That'll do it for us. You guys know where to find us. Anarchistexperience.com on telegram t.me slash anarchist experience or t.me slash the anarchist experience. And if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchist experience. Thank you very much for listening. I'll talk to y'all next week. Peace. Aloha.